Welcome to another episode of Engagement Zone. Uh, we are now on Spotify and in the process of getting up onto Apple. I think this is our, our, going to be our 20th episode and it's been really well received out there. So thank you very much for, for all those that are listening and, and sharing it around around the web. Um, in the news, uh, I think probably in the next 15 years, we might still be talking about Brexit. Uh, absolutely, 100% probably. Uh, Brexit is still going on. Uh, it's, it's, it's torturous if you live in the UK and probably beyond. Um, other, other things in the other news, I just, I just, I've probably switched off on that now because of Brexit overload. But um, it's uh, uh, with regards to the Employee Engagement Awards, um, we have our actual conference in Johannesburg taking place right now. Uh, yesterday we had an Indaba session, which was a free session for people to come along to and and to get into the employee engagement and learn more. And today is the actual conference and, and awards. So uh, good luck to the team down in, in South Africa doing the All Africa Conference and to all those finalists who are about to find out this evening if they've won or not. Uh, turning to the UK, we have our deadline uh, October the 9th 2019 for the UK and European awards and, and we'll be opening up for uh, entries for 2020 uh, later on this year in North America probably with a, a small event in New York early December but more on that uh, at a later date. Um, <clears throat> turning to to, our t to today's guest, um, uh, I've, I first came across uh, our guest actually reading Harvard Business Review, uh, one of his articles, and it, it, it's just basically I agree with every word and, and, and I've been following him ever since. Um, he's also has been a top 101 influencer uh, with the Employee Engagement Awards since we published our first uh, list in 2017. Uh, and, and it gives me great joy to welcome Lewis Garrod, partner at Mercer, to to the uh, podcast today. How are you doing, Lewis? Yeah, I'm great. Thanks, Matt. Yeah, it's great to be here. And, and, our, and our first guest uh, that's based in Asia, so in, in, in Singapore, no less. Yeah. So uh, hello from Singapore. It's uh, late afternoon here, so it's uh, good to join you. It's a bit hazy. They're burning the forest in Indonesia again, but uh, right. not, okay. not, not quite the level of Brexit. <laughs> Is that is that for the is that for the palm oil? Is is that what they're doing? Yeah. So we oh, get it dear. a few times a year. Yeah. They. Uh, it, it depends on where the wind blows as well. Some sometimes if it's uh, burning quite hot and the wind blows this way, then we get some of the smoke. But yeah. Well, that that that's a shocking. Area. That's a sh that's shocking what was going on there. So yeah. Oh yeah. Well, just things all over the world. It get, get get you down if you think about it too 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 much. But um, I've just suddenly realised changing gears, but. Um, and if you pardon the pun, isn't the uh, Formula One Grand Prix down there with you this week? It certainly is. It's at the end of the week. Uh, yeah, so it's always uh, impressive. They get the whole city set up for it and uh, yeah, get a lot of big music acts and things. It's always exciting. Uh, so you should come visit sometime and have a look. It's really pretty impressive. So it's a bit of, bit of a festival feel to the city. Because uh, I, exactly. I did Montreal one year and, and Montreal just basically closes down streets and everybody's wandering around and there's music on every corner and it's a it's a fantastic feel. It's a bit like that. I mean, the only, the downside is, is that you get a little, a few complaints about the traffic because of course the, the middle of the city gets shut down, but um, only lasts a couple of days and it, uh, it's just, yeah, it's a really pretty impressive spectacle. So uh, if anybody gets a chance to come, then I, I recommend it. Right. So, um, 
to, to, to you uh, and, and what you do and, and how you help, uh, you know, make workplaces around the world uh, much, much better. Um, you know, on, on LinkedIn, it says you, you're helping leaders use people science to transform performance. And I just wanted to, if you could explain a bit how, how we could be using people sciences within, within workplaces, because I know you're a trained psychologist and, um, and yeah, I'd love to learn more about that, really. Yeah, sure. No problem. So, I mean, I, I think I'll just uh, start by saying that, you know, one of the sort of hot topics right now is everything around sort of people analytics and, uh, yeah, using more data to kind of understand people at work and to try and help them uh, Im- improve, you know, the performance that they show at work or the performance of their team or their organization. And the way when I talk about people science, um, what I'd like to say is like, look, you know, analytics is very often about measurement. It's about sort of trying to accurately understand uh, certain concepts and relate those things to each other. It could be whether or not someone's talented, how that's connected to their potential and their performance, whether or not they're engaged and how that's connected. You know, I find from what I uh, that, that using this concept of science is is much more oriented around learning. So you know when we talk about people science, we talk about trying to use that data, use that insight to really learn something and uh, to see uh, the world differently, so that we can sort of teach people how to uh, behave differently or you know build new technologies uh, that will, that will help them uh, perform better. So at its foundation you know, it overlaps heavily with people analytics and those topics, because what we really want to do is to move away from using our sort of instinct and intuition uh, towards trying to use more rigor around how we understand workplace experiences or understand the nature of talent. From from basically, um, uh, from a, we know what our people think, intuition, which is complete nonsense to actually using proper data and rigor. Yeah, I mean, yeah, exactly. I mean, there, there's, there's uh, I think, like a, a good psychologist would tell you, would, would, is really a data person. They're interested in trying to understand and predict uh, how people think and feel about things uh, and, you know, obviously, therefore, behave in certain situations and, uh, you know, the kind of outcomes that that causes. And exactly the same thing. It's a bit like, okay, so how do people experience their work? What, what kind of data can you use? Uh, is it just surveys? Are there other things uh, that you can get insights from? Um, you know, a lot of psychology grew up with psychometrics around, you know, trying to understand people's personality and capabilities and those things. And the most, the core of that is really what we call predictive validity, which is just trying to understand whether the data that you gather from people is actually meaningful. Does it predict anything that you're interested in? And I think that's where we spend a lot of our time trying to sort of understand the kind of problems that organizations are trying to solve, um, figuring out what data we can collect to learn about them, and then using that data to kind of to uh, help organizations understand the sort of things that they can do in order to improve. And, and sometimes that means changing the way that managers and leaders behave other times it means you know um creating different practices in a team maybe something around structure in the organization it it really depends on what the problem is so how how, just just to you know go straight into something you just mentioned how would you go about help changing how leaders behave 
because um, well, more and more yeah. we're, we're, we're seeing, well, yeah, I know that's a big question. Um, but more and more we're, we're seeing, um, you know, just the, 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 it's the number one, I think, factor and influencer on, on the culture within an organisation, actually the people experience and what, and what, what that is, is if the buy-in from the top and how the leaders are performing. Yeah. So, I mean, leaders have a disproportionate impact on people's experiences at work. And as you say, the, the culture, um, and that's because that's for a few reasons. I mean, you know, by almost by definition, they make decisions uh, and those decisions uh, influence the way that people experience their work. The other thing that they do is they pick other leaders. And so, you know, they, they promote people or they they assign status and, um, people are really sensitive to that. You know, that's a, it communicates what an organization or a community values. Um, and and uh, the last thing they do is then they role model behavior. And a lot of people are very sensitive to that. And, you know, uh, that's a, a lot of the way that people experience their work is um, in terms of what behavior is acceptable in the people around them. So changing that kind of tough, particularly because, you know, many leaders are, successful you know they already got into a position of power um and so you know from their perspective sometimes it's a little bit like so wait this worked for me so far why should i even consider doing it differently and you know that's why i think you know using some of these techniques to kind of un uh, help them understand the impact that they have on people the outcomes that that causes whether or not that's helping them be effective or ineffective in terms of achieving their goals um, really focusing on that concept of self-awareness and what you realize is, is what the science tell, tells us is many people have pretty weak self-awareness. We don't really, it's, it, we struggle to see ourselves uh, accurately because we're kind of living inside our own heads. And so the best way to learn about the impact we have on others is to, is to ask them um, and do, and often do that in a structured way, you know, ask them questions that, that are meaningful and relevant. And I'm just, yeah, like I said, I always love talking to you, Lewis. <laughs> always learning. Um, so, um, all right, I want to kind of explore that a bit more, but I also want to get onto a couple of other topics. So, as always, um, we do try and keep our podcast short. Um, uh, so, and, and we recommend you go and look, seek out our, our our guests too, because you can learn a lot more from them and talk to them uh, directly. Um, I think let's let's move on actually because I think this is a real pertinent topic. It's an article you've just written um, on on LinkedIn uh, with I think with a colleague, um, and it was um, employee experience in the age of disruption. And, and within that article, you touch upon uh, a couple of topics, you know, that are personal, like AI and and what the experience is going to look like in the modern world and, and how to build it. So, can can you elaborate and, and inform us about that article you've just posted? Yeah, sure. I mean, I mean, the sort of genesis of this is the idea that um, a lot of companies are, and organizations are starting to kind of ask themselves, you know, how can we um, develop an experience at work that really supports our people through some of the changes that you know, we're seeing both, you know, in the broader economy, but also within organizations as they start to adapt and, and use new technologies. And there's sort of an interesting overlap because one of the reasons I think that's become an interesting topic is because people at work use so many different tools and technologies now, and those tools collect data about what those people are doing. 
And so that gives the organization's management and indeed the HR function a data set through which to now start to look at and say, hey, is this telling us anything about the performance or, and experience that people are having at work? Is there anything meaningful in this that we can learn from in order to be able to you know, create better performance or, um, an, or a better experience for people? So there's that kind of sense that actually the technology that we're using uh, can, can give us some better insight from the data it generates, and maybe we could use that a bit more productively than we currently are. I think the other thing is, you know, there are lots of traditional methods to, for sort of understanding people's experiences of work, surveys being probably the simplest, most transparent and most, most ethical, um, you know, in the sense that, you, you know, it's obvious that you're asking people a question and uh, that, you know, they're in, in responding that they, um, they can give their consent for that data to be used in, in a, it, within an organisation. Um, but what we're seeing there as well is that, you know, there's this sense that actually what we need to be doing is collecting a more continuous stream of feedback from from people, uh, not overwhelming them, but just trying to get a more um, uh, fluid sense of really what's going on with, for them and uh, how how that's causing them to, to think and feel about the, the work that they're doing. Um, and that's, you know, connected to the sense that actually when people going through challenging times and when disruption is really happening inside organizations, people need more support, basically, you know, support in terms of learning, uh, support in terms of, you know, well-being, but also then uh, stronger leadership into uh, managing uh, those through those different situations. So you know, the crux of the article is sort of saying, so how do, how do we use that data and, you know, what do we see our clients doing or many, and other organizations yeah. around the world to try and adapt to this? So it's not it's not big brothery where you're continuously like using data that's being used and the softwares and, and tools that we're using internally now um, to to help evolve experience, experiences without really people knowing. It's it's it, is it more direct? Um, or, or is I, it think it's, both? Yeah. I think it's a bit of both actually. I mean, look, you know, if you join an organisation and you use their equipment, you log onto their network, um, more or less anything you do. Is, uh, is company property, including the information that you generate and any communication that you use. And you know, to, to some extent, therefore, you know, using that information as, as a way to kind of understand the organization's performance is useful. The danger becomes when managers start to um, take more of a scientific management approach and, then, and uh, use that as a way to kind of monitor and manage very, very small chunks of work. So the danger that we've seen in the past is obviously that that micromanaging happens because, you know, you can now tell how many emails someone sent a day or how many meetings they went to this week yeah. or all that. And those sort of very sort of, uh, you know, meaningless numbers are used to judge whether or not someone is doing the right thing. Whereas I think actually uh, the more sophisticated view is that you know, the connections between these things, you know, like pr productivity metrics are are much more than just what you're doing with your time. It's the output and who you're connected with and how information flows through an organization and the kind of experiences as those that those generate. So uh, I really like the work, for example, of Rob Cross and his colleagues um, looking at something at, at, at uh, collaborative overload which is, you know, people who get overwhelmed because they become sort of like a central node of 
uh, of uh, information or talent in the organization and trying to manage how you collaborate with others, particularly with, you know, in the digital age is something that we don't really talk about very often. And that can obviously create a very negative experience for people. So trying to understand that, uh, I think, and where it might be happening, I think is really useful. And that's about collaborative overloads. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, collaborative overload is this sense that, you know, you if you become like a central node for something, because, you know, there are these people in organizations that you go to, to, um, you know, they just seem to know who the right person with the right information is. Yeah, they, yeah, you know, they have the, the, the uh, they see things from a different perspective, etc. Actually, very often those people beca- can become overwhelmed because it's not just you who sees them that way. You know, everyone does. And you know, trying to understand if that's happening to people and to coach the organization to manage collaboration in the right way. I think it's just an example of using um, non-survey data to try and understand the experiences that people have at work. But of course, you know, that data, that email connection data or calendar data or those sorts of things doesn't tell you other things that are also very important. Like it doesn't tell you whether or not people experience a strong sense of meaning and purpose in what they do yeah. or other things that, you know, that um, they rarely talk about unless you specifically ask them. And so I really do think that there's, you know, as the, uh, as over time, as organizations progress in terms of their maturity, we'll see these data sets coming together and giving us a much more holistic view of what it's really like to go to work in the, in the organization. I think that kind of segues in some, in some sense nicely to my last point I really wanted to talk to you about was the, the impact of, of, of AI. I know you've been talking about this quite a bit and um, something I've seen you share that let's not outsource our relationships to robots uh, in, in the future. And I yeah. think you're just talking about how people are feeling and the sense of purpose and if they're okay. I think, you know, actually AI can be seen as this big scary thing or actually something that will free up people to uh, better understand their, their people within work and have and, and build those bigger and stronger relationships and I don't know what you think about that well I mean um, so I think a lot of uh, new technology there are there are really two mo- main sort of movements uh, in, in terms of the way that technology is causing us to to change the way of work so the first is just simple automation and digitization of processes that are quite quite transactional um, and I'm all for that because I think that transactional re- re- repetitive work is uh, is not the kind of work that people even want to do. Yeah, and uh, and so actually, um, as many machines as we can get to do that as po- as possible is very healthy for people. Um, of course, it means that they need to often have new skills, or um, we need to be very thoughtful about the current people who are in transactional roles, what, what happens to them next. But generally speaking, I think that development will create much more positive, more productive work and, you know, allow people to have better well-being. The AI component, you know, the one that's kind of making decisions and, you know, helping you with uh, information. I mean, that is very interesting because, you know, really um, that's a prediction technology. What what a lot of AI is doing is consuming data um, that has been generated in the past or uh, in real time, and then using that, to, uh, using an algorithm to transform it into a completely new set of information, something that is uh, predictive of maybe a future event or 
um, you know, something else that is useful and interesting for people to use. And one of the concerns I think that's being raised, and that I that's what I mentioned in that, that post that I shared, was that, you know, there's some sense that you can automate your interactions with others because, you know, if some people are asking you for your for something and you you've you've been through that request before and you can automate it. Um, you know, increasingly, should technology help us read other people and give us advice and nudge us to, you know, respond in the right ways? I think that's, you know, an interesting idea. But the risk, of course, is, is that if you outsource that capability to a machine, that, you know, you don't stretch or develop your own internal empathy muscles, yeah. you don't have as much compassion uh, as, as you need. Um, and that can then make us, you know, obviously uh, far less relatable. And, you know, a, a qu- equivalent sort of analogy, Matt, is, you know, pilots um, often fly in an autopilot, et cetera. And, you know, that's a very safe technology. But, you, you know, the question is, if our autopilot becomes even more advanced and flies the plane most of the time, training pilots could be a challenge because, of course, they don't, they're not, actually flying the plane as much as they used to. So, you know, developing skills um, by practice is something we really have to think about, and particularly those really uniquely human ones. I think that's really important consideration. Yeah, well, there's probably a big, big risk-reward, I suppose, there, because I think one of the biggest challenges um, around things like mental mental health is the fact the, the incapability or inability of, of, of just people... Uh, having the courage to say something's wrong uh, and, and yeah. building those, in, in, you know, in seemingly inclusive cultures where it's okay to say, go to your manager and say, look, I just need to have a chat. Um, so if, if, as you say, we're not really um, exercising those empathy muscles, uh, in, more, more and more as technology and AI uh, you know, advances forward within the workplace, that's a real, that's a real risk. But then again, there's a, there's a reward there for the companies that get it right, I guess, um, and and, and yeah. people are going to want to work for those companies um, because it's the sure. better 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 experience. Um, I mean, yeah, I I agree. I mean, so the, there's so I do think you know obviously it's it's so new. A lot of this is unknown. You kind of I think you have to be objective and accurate about what the potential upside and challenges are. And when you do that, by, you only do that by testing, don't you? You know, like there's a lot of a lot of the, a lot of the the people that come on here who've won awards and have done well. You know, time and time again, you hear they've had permission to fail, fail fast, and you know, by trying new things, only do you do you do you progress? I suppose so. Yeah, exactly. I mean, uh, you know, the so particularly with trying these new technologies, it's the the, the sense that uh, you know, the good news is is often you can roll them out and roll them back. Yeah quickly and so you know there's it's not like they can become embedded in the way that things are done uh, very fast and so you can really learn uh, a lot about people's reactions and responses to them pretty pretty quickly i mean the other thing i find interesting about ai is really a lot of it is is currently used in uh, as part of like our matching culture so you know because of the huge increase in the amount of information on the internet and you know the amount of information coming at individuals through email social media whatever communications we're using these days um to to sort of filter that down often these technologies incorporate an ai that then matches you to your pre- preferences 
So if you think about on YouTube, you know, you're, it sh it'll show you videos based on what you've looked at before on Amazon, based on what you've shot for before on Spotify, based on what you've listened to yeah. before. Um, I don't know on tin like you know even Tinder takes the matching the the dating um, simplifies the dating process by enabling you to match to people who are you know who who have pre-selected you and you know that's very very different to like having to go to a bar you know see someone from across the room go and have a chat to them um, and that I think is interesting because if you think about it that technology then really removes the opportunity for you to root around and fail in that situation. Um, you very rarely these days listen to music you don't like because, you know, Spotify will just suggest all the stuff that you do like. So, and also, like, you know, when, when with, with, news, to well, learn. With, like, with news as well, you are just consuming the same news over and over again in the echo chamber. Exactly. So fake news, I think, is a symptom of this. It's all the same um, technology, which is this, you know, AI powered matching the computer wants to give you what it knows you want yeah. based on your past behavior. And that really, I think, is in some ways limiting our learning because we're not, so, we're not exposed to the struggle. Like, you know, maybe 10, 20 years ago, not 10 years ago, maybe 20 years ago, if you wanted to find out if you liked a band or a record, you had to listen. Yeah. You had to try different records. Like you had to go to the music store maybe and listen. If you wanted to meet people and you know learn how to date you had to go to a bar and try and fail and a lot of these this ai is now reducing our opportunity to do that so i think that's it's interesting because i do think it can have a tremendously beneficial effect of narrowing the options down to uh, a manageable amount because there's just there's so much data coming at us now but on the flip side i think you know, I think we're still learning to use to, to remodel our society in the way that we think about these technologies so that we're not limiting ourselves to opportunities to learn and, and try new things. And, and we do. It's, it's, that's the whole point of human nature. We learn and evolve. We, we, you'd like to think so. Maybe maybe we, this, this will take us enough in a different direction. Um, but, um, yeah, it's, it's fascinating. Um, and, and there we go. Look, already one of our longest podcasts. Um, uh, as 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 you could probably hear, Lewis is uh, inc incredibly insightful. Uh, I, I would go check him out on LinkedIn and, and his past articles on HBR and future articles moving forward. Um, yeah, I obviously gave you really easy, small topics to talk about there today <laughs> um, with regards to AI and and, and and different elements. So, an employee experience. Yeah, they're always. Fun. So, thank you for thank you for making sense of them in such a short space of time and. And, and, you know, I know you've got me thinking uh, already, so I'm going to go off and probably, I think I might have been inspired to write a blog, actually. So thank you very much for that. Um, and, um, yeah, just um, what, what's up for you, though, outside of work? Obviously, you've got the Grand Prix this weekend in Singapore. Have you, got, have you been away? Um, are you going away anytime soon? Any, any, any fun on the horizon? Any fun? Yeah. So, uh, the fun, so in, in in sort of this order, I'm not going to make the Grand Prix because actually I'm flying off to uh, to Europe this weekend. Uh, just go check in on some family, but also the next week I'm in Madrid for the uh, for a conference there for the European Association of Test Publishers, which is a professional body for people who are into assessment and that sort of thing. So, Fantastic. you know, on, on stage there, looking forward to that. It's a real privilege to be invited. And um, yeah, that's going to be great. And then back here, uh, my wife uh, is pregnant. So she, uh, we, she's 
due to have our first child in October. So we're really excited about that. So I've got to get back. That's great news. Thanks very much. Yeah. Yeah, we're really psyched. Yeah, it's really exciting. And uh, yeah, then uh, I think obviously just getting used to that new situation will uh, will probably consume the next few months. Yeah. Uh, I've been told to get ready, so I will. And then, yeah, off to Canada in January for the HRPA in Toronto. So I'm really looking forward to that too. Cool. So a few events. Yeah, some some nice life stuff. Pretty exciting. Yeah, that's that's wildly exciting. So we'll we'll enjoy enjoy Europe. Uh, the weather at the moment, the sun is shining, um, which you know it's pretty nice, nice, nice time of the year. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm stoked. Congratulations. I hope everything goes well in October, and uh, look forward to you know maybe being introduced to the the, the new member of the family on, on on social media or something at some stage in the future. So yeah, look, looking forward to it. So. Um, thanks, very thanks, my friend. Yeah. Thanks very much, Lewis. Um, uh, I've learned a lot today. I'm sure our listeners listeners have too. Uh, we'll be back with another podcast uh, soon. Um, and uh, thanks very much for listening. Speak soon. Cheers. Bye bye.